My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. If you were here last Saturday night, you were alone because uh, most of us were at the coast, but last weekend, so Sunday, we started this, this short little uh, kind of end of summer series with a question uh, that I think is an important question, and it would be this. If you could see your life with the end in mind, spiritually speaking, what would it look like? You know, we as a culture, we as a people, we have goals, we have all these objectives, we make resolutions, uh, we have career goals, we have all these, you know, desires for the future, and we want to get there. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, it's great. And long, though, before Stephen Covey said to see with the end in mind, God saw with the end in mind, and he saw you with the end in mind. And so we started talking about that last week, and the question was, what would it look like to get to that place? Well, whatever that looks like, right? We'll kind of share it again. And then what would be the gaps that you have between here and there? Now, there's a really cool verse that Jesus says, and I've, I've always loved it, and it's kind of, kind of weird, but it's cool. I like it. It's in Luke 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 40, and it says this. It says, students are not greater than their teacher. Any teachers in the room? Okay, all right. Some, okay, good. Students are not greater. You could probably put this Bible verse on your whiteboard or your board. Just take out the rest of it, right? No, students are not greater than their teacher. Okay, but... But he says, the student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. Now, that's an interesting verse. I think that's pretty fascinating because in the context of what Jesus is talking about is that you are a student. I am a student. Jesus is the teacher. In the relationship of the first century, Israel, where Jesus is living and breathing and talking, the culture has this understanding of being a teacher, or we might uh, use one of the words that was used there, a rabbi. Someone who was a leader over students. And so a teacher has students. Now, we unfortunately think of student-teacher as a classroom where a teacher stands up, talking head, you know, Charlie Brown, wah, 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 and people sit there, take notes, check their Facebook status, you know, post some Snapchat pictures, and maybe learn something, right? Okay, that's kind of what we see as a student-teacher relationship. But at the time of Christ, that's not how it was. Uh, I mean, you had some of that. There's Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and things like that. But in the Hebrew culture that Jesus is a part of, he says a student and being like a teacher is, is very much like, uh, we're going to say a small group that lives together. It would be like a small relational community that's on the move together. So Jesus had disciples. And so there's a rabbi 
and there are disciples. So there's a, a teacher and there's a student. And you don't just go to class Monday morning at 8.30. You wake up and you've been spending the last however long, couple years with this person. And you're learning not just what the teacher thinks, but how they actually live. And so you would model your life after your teacher. You would do everything with your teacher. Everything your teacher did, everywhere your teacher would go, you would go there because the learning wasn't in a book form. It was the relationship and the conversations that happened along the journey, right? And so that's how it was there. And that's what Jesus is saying, that you would become like your teacher. Now, here's the question. If Jesus is your teacher, that's the assumption I'm going to make today. And if you're brand new here and you don't know much about Jesus, that's awesome. I'm glad you're here. We'll talk about that. But you could see yourself as a student. And so you're going to follow Jesus. So, so Jesus is your teacher and you're the student. Now, there is a gap between what a student knows and how they process and how they've experienced life and the teacher, right? Um, some of, sometimes we sit in class going, I think I know that. But, but the teacher has been there on the journey. So if, if, if Jesus is your teacher, your rabbi, and you are the student, you're the disciple, what are the gaps that are left for you to look like Jesus? Because he says, this is the goal. The student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Like Molly said, here's a student that just a spring a year ago came to Christ and is now leading some talks, some God talks. So it's like, that's exciting, right? In one year, a student far from God has said yes to Jesus, understood enough to get into this relationship, to begin to grow in that, to now where this gal is serving and she's actually leading other people. That's pretty fast, if you ask me. That's exciting because that's a student who's becoming like the teacher. If Jesus is the teacher and you're the student, what's left on your growth to become like the teacher? What is left for you to become fully trained? Now, if someone's here with you, they don't get a voice in this one, okay? This is not their list to fill out for you where you're deficient, okay? This is for you personally to wonder, if God has an end goal for me, a vision for my life, which we'll see the verse again in just a moment, what it is, how am I doing getting there? What's my responsibility? What's my part? What's God's part? What's the church's part? So think about that, because I believe we're all on a journey. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus does the ministry. He leaves. A guy named Paul picks up the mantle of the predominant teaching and writing, and this is something that he said in one of his letters. He wrote it's to the church in Rome. He said this, and it's Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul, follower of Jesus, who was on a journey of becoming like him, said this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Kind of a setup verse here. Here's how it's working. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, so we saw this last week, that far in advance of well, of anything, because it says before the foundation of the world in one of the chapters that Paul wrote in a letter to a church in Ephesus, long before we, anything ever existed, God looked ahead and saw us, and he knew us in advance, and he chose us. So this is a process. This is a journey of becoming like Jesus. So we've been, you know, known in advance. We've then been 
predestined, called out to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Come back to that in a minute. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Jesus goes first. And those he predestined, decided in advance, he also called. Meaning there was a moment in your life, I know in my life, a number of years ago, there was a moment when I heard the gospel message about Jesus Christ. And I was being called. Like I knew it was just God was calling me. God was doing something. He was winning me to himself. And those he called, he also justified. That word means to be made right in the relationship with God. And that only happens, you know, because of what Jesus has already done, not because of the good stuff we might try to do. Those he justified, he also glorified. Glorified meaning ultimately we're going to receive glorified bodies. But even now, there's this understanding that we are his chosen and God is doing a work in us. So here's the process. He foreknows us. He, he, he sees us, knows us, has a relationship with us. If you have a question on that, please ask me after the service and I'll tell you I don't have a clue what that really means and how I understand that. But I just accept it for what it is. But it's true, I just don't get it all. But he foreknew us, then he predestined us, and then he called us, and then he justified us, and then glorifies, and then ultimately we're glorified and we go to be with him, okay? But all of that, all of that, that end in mind is so he would conform us to be like Christ. He looked ahead of us and said, I want you to be like my son, Jesus Christ. I want you to be like him. I want you to think like him, act like him. I want you to talk like him. I want you to feel like him. God's end goal for your life is for you to look like Jesus. And I mean, if he's done this, just by the way, if he's done the foreknowing and the predestining and the calling and the justifying and the glorifying, God's got a really good part already done, right? Now, we as a church have a part and you have a part. So what does it look like for you to become more and more like Jesus, to be like your teacher? That's what we're talking about in this series last week and this week. Now, think about this. If God has a mission for your life, then it should just be working beautifully, right? There should be no obstacles. There should be no problems in your life. You should all look like Jesus, right? Right? Because look at all that God's doing. Okay, but it's not... I'm just looking, some of you, definitely some of you are not looking like Jesus yet, but you're doing good, okay? What stops us from being like Jesus? Okay, I'm not going to point fingers, but I got to make an eye contact with some of you guys because I know you for years. Why are we just like instantaneously? Take a pill and we're there, right? Because in the same way that God has a, a mission to conform us to be like Jesus, the culture we live in, uh, some of the Stories in the New Testament words are like the spirit of this age, the wind of the world, just the culture around us. The culture has a conforming to us as well status, a desire. That the world around us wants to make it like it. Just like God wants to make us like him, the world around us, the culture around us that we live in, this current modern age, like every age, wants to force us into the mold that they have. They want us to be more and more like them. In fact, this is, uh, this is a fascinating verse, and this is just a couple chapters down in Romans chapter 12. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So think about it for just a minute here. Um, The world, the culture, I'll say, has a message. And the message is you can live life apart from God. In fact, it will be better for you. 
that you can be your own boss, you can be your own decider, uh, you, you don't have to have the moral restraints that God has for you, you don't have to live like God wants you to live, that it's better to completely disregard God and throw God out. That message started in the garden when the one we see in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent who embodied, you know, the embodiment of Satan said, uh, you know, I know God said this, but I want to tell you God's trying to keep something from you. He doesn't want you to have all that you could have. That lie continues to persist in our culture. And the culture says, I know this is what God says, but if you really want to enjoy life to the full, this is how it is. It's, um, it's the calling of a young child who looks at mom and dad and says these wonderful words. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> right? That's the culture. That's the, that's the spirit of the age saying, ah, conform to what I want for you. Right? It's the teenager who, you know, looks at mom and dad and says, I don't want what you have. I'm running off and doing my own thing. It's the single person who says, I I know this is what God's word says, but they hear this voice saying, but if you really want to have pleasure, this is what you need to do to fit in and to have a dating life, and this is how it works, right? Uh, it's, It's the married person who, you know, maybe everything's going fine even in, in marriage and all that, but then is seduced by another person because the, the culture says, but if you really want to enjoy life to the full, you can have what you've got plus this, right? I mean, you can go through every strata of life. It's the student or the business person or the politician who says, you know what, uh, the culture says, you know, I can cheat, I can lie, I can steal, and I can get away with it and be better because of it and, until you're caught, Right? And so there is a culture, there's a wind of culture that's blowing our way, speaking to us constantly, saying, why don't you become like me? So think about it this way. God is saying, far in advance, I chose you to become like Jesus, and I'm working everything toward that end, but don't be fooled into thinking that it's going to be easy because there's a culture all around us saying, I have a plan for you too, and it's to become like someone who doesn't want God who resists and fights God. And so you can become who you are because God is trying to keep something from you. That's the culture. Now, uh, I like how one of the translations from a number of years ago says this. It says here, it says, instead of don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed, it just says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Now, that's an important way to think about it because this is an important uh, little, little hidden part from the language, the Greek language that Paul writes in. Um, This is not an active command. This is a passive command, meaning you don't do this, you allow this to be done to you. Now, that's important. This is not a message that says, if you go out and do these four or five things or six things, you're going to do this. This is God wants to do these things in your life, and you are on a mission to say yes to him and yield to him and allow him to do that. Because you can push back. You can stop that. You can go, God, I don't want to do that. So the command is, let it happen to you. Let God do this into your life. Because the world is coming around you externally, trying to squeeze you into a mold, conforming you into an image. And God says, no, no, no. That's the external to the inside. I want to do it internal to the outside. I want to take you, and I want to mold something in you, but you've got to, you've got to participate with me. You've got to do your part of this. I, I'm doing so much for you. I, look at what I've already done for you. But I want you to say yes to this and respond to it so that you can grow into this image of Jesus. So don't, don't be squeezed into the world mold that they say is the cultural norm. In fact, here, so I'm, I'm a car guy, so here's what I would say. 
You know, when you drive a car, you don't, unless you're Fred Flintstone, do any real work, right? I mean, we got power brakes, power everything, right? Uh, but we're not really doing a whole lot. What you are doing is you're putting it in drive and pushing on the accelerator, right? And if you have a Tesla, that's about all you do because it drives itself, or that's what you think, right? Okay, but, but think about this. You're not doing the work, but you are directing the work. So the, the cultural wind that we find ourselves in is all going down the freeway in one direction. And so what God is saying is, I want you to apply the brakes, and I want you to put it in reverse, and I want you then to let the engine take you a different direction. You don't do all the work, but you have to direct the work that's being done. You have to yield to it. Make sense? Well, okay, with that in mind, this is where we're going. We saw that last week. Um, and so if you're, you know, if you're here for the first time, you could catch it online. We talked about some tools God uses. We looked at three tools uh, that really, I believe, are part of the way God molds us into the image of Jesus' scripture. What does the Word of God do for us? We talked about that last week. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit mold us into that image? We talked about the saints, not not the people that some people pray to. I mean, you guys that are followers of Christ. The Bible says you're the saints, and this is the fellowship of the saints, and not the football team, but, you know, the, the people here, you, as followers of Christ, all right? What does it mean to allow the Scripture to be a part of the process of shaping you to be like Jesus, conforming you? yielding to Jesus in this, uh, the Spirit of God living inside of you, and the fellowship of believers. Today, I want to share the other three, and and there may be more, but at least I see six that um, will help you along in the process. So if you have a sermon notes page, you've got them all there. Okay, if not, you can take notes or or, uh, find it on the way out, but they're all there. So the the next one, number four, a tool that God uses to conform you um, is, I, I think, an exciting tool. It's structure. Now, I think it's exciting because I like structure. I'm, at nature, I'm an undisciplined person, so I have to put discipline in my life. People look at me and go, wow, you're really disciplined. I'm like, yeah, because I'm a lazy cuss, okay? I would sleep in every day. I would stay up every night, and I'd watch TV, and I would, you know, man, my, my kids are talking about video games. Every time we drive in the van, I'm like, I wish I had time to play video games. I don't have any time for that because I got structure. I got these things. I'm doing. Now, I, hopefully, that's good for me, but I love structure. And some of you are sitting here going, oh, I'm not too happy right now, okay? Well, that's okay. We'll talk about it. We'll do some therapy for you. Um, This is what, again, the Apostle Paul, the follower of Jesus who wrote a lot of the New Testament, uh, who, man, who just came alive with Jesus, this is what he said to one of his disciples, Timothy. He says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Okay, now this is what Paul is saying. And, and, and when he talks about physical training, uh, it, underlying in the, the language is the word um, gymnazo, which is where we get the word gymnasium, okay? And so what he's saying is people work out, people sweat, all right? Maybe you're Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies. Maybe you're going to CrossFit and you're sweating. 
When you work out, when you run, when you exercise, when you do your thing, you sweat, right? It's that kind of vigorous energy that it takes to work hard, to build muscles, to lose weight. This is what it is. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it, right? It's not sitting there eating Doritos and having a Coke, watching television. That doesn't take a lot of energy. If you sweat, that's a different reason, okay? You know, okay but, but what's going on is physical energy and training is required to change your life, right? To bring physical changes. Ask anybody that's physically fit. It's not easy. It takes work to get there and strenuous work. Well, if that's beneficial, Paul says, I want to share something that's even more beneficial. In fact, longer lasting than that. And that is spiritual training. And that are spiritual disciplines. If you're on a diet, you know, you count calories. Maybe you have an app for that. Maybe you write it out, but you, you know, you monitor everything. Everything's got a label these days. And if you have eyes to see it, you can read the tiny print, right? How many calories, how many this, how many carbs, how much sugar? You can know that and you can calculate it. And then you can calculate your, you know, your output of all your energies and things like that. And you can work on this. I've got my Fitbit app does that every day. I don't even have to do much. I just do it. It goes, oh, that. Thanks, there you go. I walked 20,000 steps yesterday. I don't know how. I just was working on the farm and I was doing it. I got 20. I beat my wife in a challenge last week. I feel so, by 70 steps. But I beat her nonetheless. I feel better having crushed her. No, um, she's going to beat me this week, guaranteed. All right, but we challenge each other, right? So we can do a little more and do a little more. That takes energy. Well, if you're going to do that physically, which isn't a bad thing, it's a temporary thing, why don't you do something that's going to last forever? which is spiritual training, okay? And spiritual training takes effort. It takes energy. And I think it takes structure. It takes planning. I think that if you're going to be strong in your relationship with God, and if you're going to be more and more made into the image, conformed to the image of God, there are some disciplines that you need to have. Again, some of you are sitting here going, man, you know, this is awesome, James, preach disciplines because we need to do more of this stuff and I want to be held accountable for seven days a week of reading the Bible and praying and I want to be able to phone that in and I want to beat somebody in a challenge about my Bible reading. It's like, whoa, slow down. We're not talking about religion here, okay? Because some of you are going, now I'm starting to sweat because somebody's going to try to hold me accountable, right? No, this is, this is this both relationship between our effort and energy and God. Um, I have a habit of reading the Bible every day do I read the Bible every day? No. That's my habit. Five days, maybe out of seven. I get up in the morning, get my cup of coffee, get breakfast, take an hour, a half hour, read the Bible, read the Bible through every year. I do that, read some Psalms, Proverbs. I spend about a half hour praying. The prayer sheets that go around here, the list, I pray for you guys and things that come in. Sometimes I'm able to email back and respond to things. But I think that's a discipline I have. And it's a discipline that produces a result in my life. I do a part of the work. And God does a part of the work. Some of the disciplines, reading the Bible, praying. I think some of the disciplines of serving and giving, some of the structure. But it doesn't happen unless I set an alarm on my phone that goes off at 5 a.m. Now, that's for me, okay? Um, I'm a night person, but I have to force myself to get up early because then it's quiet. The only people that are up are the cats and the mice, you know, that are hanging out, all right? And, and they're doing something too. So, but it's like quiet, it's dark. I can get some focus time with God. I need that, all right? And so that's my discipline. But that structure has brought a great change in my life. If I had said, well, I'll just, when I've got a few minutes, when I find some time, when I've got some freedom, you know that. It'll never happen, right? It, it, life just will take over. So a little bit of structure can bring a great change into your life spiritually. 
service. Tool number five, ministry, giving out. Um, I, I love this uh, passage from Ephesians. Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, this town in modern-day Turkey. And he says, now these are the gifts. He's talking about people here, not like spiritual gifts, but people. These are the gifts God gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Okay, God gave these people to the church. Why? Now here it is. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So what he's saying is, is that there are people that have been given to the church with a role and responsibility. Uh, in this context, if, if we were to say a pastor or a teacher, that'd be, that'd be me. Um, I feel like in my season of life and, and everything, you know, I have some apostle stuff with me. I don't, I don't write the Bible or anything like that. I'm going to talk about that. But as a leader, um, some of you, you know, feel like you're prophets. Just be nice. Don't be a mean prophet. Okay, we don't need that. Evangelists that share the gospel. Pastors that shepherd is what it means. Teachers who instruct. Our role as those gifts... And I'm going to say as some leaders structurally over the church, our purpose is to do a work in you, not for you. Our responsibility is to equip you to do the ministry, to prepare you. This word is used, I share this a lot, but it's a visual for me. This word is used when the disciples were out fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. And so they're putting their nets away. They're mending their nets. They're getting them ready picking out the stuff, cleaning them up, tie up the little holes, whatever, storing them away, okay? That's the word prepare or mend. That's the word equip. They're getting them ready for something for the next day's use. That's our job is to get you ready for service, to get you to that point where we equip you and send you out and release you to do ministry, all right? Now, in my experience, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say most churches that I've encountered do not do church this way. One person stands up here, looks at all of you, you sit there looking at me, and you drop your five bucks in the offering, and you pay my salary to do all the work. That I go to the hospital, that I do the weddings, that I do the funerals, that I do the calling, that I do all those things, all right? That's, and, and it sounds harsh, but that's like normal church in America. That one person is paid to do everything. That is not what the Bible says, we are called to equip you to do the ministry because God has gifted you spiritually. He's given out of his great variety of spiritual gifts something that he's deposited in your life so you could do that. And when you discover that, life changes for you. Your whole purpose in life changes. Now, that's kind of threatening, but this is the goal. The goal is that, that we will all continue to such unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord. There it is, that we will become more and more like Him. We'll be, the word is perfect, not like absolute perfect, but more mature, more ready, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. If you don't get involved in ministry, you're not going to grow up into Christ because you won't know what it's like to follow Christ who said, I came not to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't even come to be served. He came to serve others, and that is a seriously important component, and I light up on this because that's what life is all about. Um, I think it was, um, might have been Chuck Swindoll that said it this way, or, or um, Howard <clears throat> Hendricks. He said, um, the average church is like the average football team. There are 11 guys out on the field working hard 
desperately in need of rest, running around, carrying the ball, doing everything, while there are thousands of people in the stands desperately in need of some exercise. That, we don't want to be that kind of church. We don't have a church where we're all on the football field doing whatever God wants us to do, playing whatever position we should be playing. Now, but this is kind of threatening because if you're sitting there and going, yeah, but that's kind of scary. You're a pastor. You went to school for this and everything. I, I get that. But that's not how it happened for me. I was a high school student. And we had a need in our church. And it was a desperate call to work with elementary students who scared me. They did because I was just a high school student. And so I signed up. And we collectively as a high school group with some college sponsors, we got together and we devised a children's ministry. And we wanted it to be just the most fun, exciting thing. And we started doing that. And I started teaching the Bible to children when I didn't know much more than they did. I started doing activities. I started studying in advance to go help out with kids. And then I went to college and my church down in California in Petaluma, they said, hey, would you come back and be an intern for the summer? Like an intern, what does that mean? Well, we'll pay you a little bit of money to hang out with the high school students. I'm like, pay me money to have pizza fun? Absolutely, go bowling, you know? That'd be great, you know? And I did it, but I didn't know what I was doing. I just, in faith, stepped out and all of a sudden, God equipped me to do it. And then I went to college. I went to college for business management and accounting. And after a year and a half, I realized I don't like numbers. I like people, you know? And so I switched. But, but the fact is, I started going into ministry. And I got to that point where I was a senior, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life. I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Would God actually, would a church trust me with young people? That's a scary thought. And I went out, I stepped into ministry, and God filled in the gaps. And then I remember this. My wife and I, 19, fall of 1997, you know, we were getting to the point where, is, what's God's calling in our life? And I really felt like God wanted me to be a senior pastor and either plant a church or be the pastor at sunrise. But there was this fear in me. I mean, I've been a youth pastor. I've never thought about being a real pastor at all, you know? <laughs> Sorry, Taylor was on a rafting trip all day. And he called me and said, hey, James, can I not? Uh, no problem. Don't, don't come tonight. I just got him back. <clears throat> no, I'll say this tomorrow too. I thought, what would it like to be a senior pastor? I have no idea. But here's what I discovered. Where God guides, he provides. And in the gaps, he comes in in amazing ways. He fills the gaps. And if you look around at all this kind of stuff, I, we would have had no idea. But I took a step of faith when I was in high school and some people said, we want you to teach children. I think that, by the way, is the best entry ministry for anybody anyone just teach children about jesus if you're sitting here going oh this is a guilt message to serve no we don't have signups for serving this has nothing to do with guilt it's about a gift that god has given you that you need to unwrap and you need to process through and you need to discover there's this little snapshot before i go to the last <clears throat> tool and um if you feel like Moses sometimes at the burning bush, God calling you to go into Egypt to release my people, that's a big job, right? And it's like, God, I don't think, and I'm, I don't, can't talk, and I'm not, and it's not, and you got the wrong guy and everything, all the objections. If, you, if you're like that, and I've been like that, if you're like that saying, here are all the reasons that you're talking to the wrong person, there's no way, God, I could do this. I love what God said to Moses. He, he actually just asked him a question after Moses objected. He goes, Moses, what's in your hand? It was a staff. Moses had been shepherding sheep for 40 years. 
And Moses held in his hand everything he needed to lead those sheep, which was going to, interestingly enough, be everything he needed to lead those, lead those people for the next 40 years. What is in your hand? God's put something in your hand already. He's already been doing something in and through your life so that he will do something even greater in and then through your life. Well, the final tool, <clears throat> and this is going to be fun, suffering. None of us sign up for suffering, right? If you think signing up for ministry is tough, <clears throat> we don't have a ministry out there that says, come, we'll beat you up and cause you to suffer. Nobody would join it, right? We don't want suffering. We run from suffering. We shy away from pain because nobody enjoys it. But it's in suffering that God does a work that he can never do in any other tool, in any other avenue. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, not if, but when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. This guy's twisted. He's sick, right? He's sadistic. When you got problems, smile. It's like, is that, that's, a, that's a stupid bumper sticker, by the way, you know? But it's like, is that, that, that's your answer? No, 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 no. I want you to discover there's something beyond just the mere appearance when troubles of any kind, when struggles, when suffering, when issues come up, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Like a muscle that keeps getting pressed in on a, a, a more increasing weight, right? Over, over, you know, what you're used to. And over time, all of a sudden, you have stronger muscles. Don't look at me. I don't know what that means. Um, but all of a sudden, you're there and you can bench press twice as much as when you started. That's what suffering is like, that it has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect. There it is. You'll be like Jesus, perfect and complete, needing nothing. You'll be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about because you've suffered greatly, and it's not anything you signed up for. You, you would have never wanted it. You would have never walked down that path if in advance you would have seen the destination. You've lost loved ones. You have physical struggles. You are dying. You have deep emotional and physical woundedness. And God says to you, I want to do something in you on such a deep level that will not only change you, but will cause Jesus to shine brightly, so brightly, that you will reach out to others. Now, we're not going to go back to the verse, but remember the passage in Romans that God causes all things to work together for good. The things aren't good, okay? All things aren't good. Bad stuff he causes to work together for good. And so God wants to take trouble and transition and turmoil and tension. In fact, you know what we've discovered? That that's when you come to faith, <laughs> If we can look at people around, and I can see people, and maybe your journey towards faith is like this, that in the tension and the transition and the trouble and the, all that stuff, that's when you woke up and you realize, ah, I need Jesus. Up to that point, life seemed to be easy, and you just kind of pushed away the thought of God. But in the pain and the suffering, you woke up to the reality that maybe there's something more to this world than just what I've been doing. And, and all of a sudden, you discover that there is a God that loves you, that will walk with you through the pain and suffering, that will journey with you. James says the idea here of 
enduring. It's this idea of growing strong under pressure. That when the pressure is pushing down on you, that's the only time you can develop this endurance. You know, we live in a comfortable and a convenient society, and we just don't like inconveniences. We get angry when things are not on time, when our download speed isn't fast enough, and all of a sudden, you know, we can't watch our YouTube video because it's stuttering, and we're like, what's going on here? It's like, man, we could send a man to the moon, you know? We can't make YouTube faster. Netflix, come on. What's going on here? And, you know, as a comedian said, it's going to space. Give it a break. Okay, it's going to space and back again, all right? But we are so impatient with everything in life. We live in this generation, we want everything, we want it now. And if it's not now, we don't understand that. We want it, our temperature. It's too cold, it's too hot. We get it, we set it that way, right? We, we want comfort. But into a real world, God calls us out of comfort, into suffering and pain, because that's really the real world, if you ask me, my friends. It's not the fake world we surround ourselves with to get us to feel good. C.S. Lewis, um, man, wrote strong words. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Uh, until we suffer, we really, truly don't know what life is all about and the joy that we already have in the midst of it. Uh, great little book. Read it uh, many years ago as a youth pastor. We read it again this uh, this spring, uh, invitation to a journey. I want to just pull a quote out here. We'll draw it a close. Uh, Robert Mulholland says this. He says, the process of being conformed to the image of Christ takes place primarily at the points of our unlikeness, the gaps to Christ's image. God is present in us in the most destructive aspects of our cultural captivity. God is involved with us in the most imprisoning bondage of our brokenness. God meets us in those places of our lives that are most alienated from God. God is there in grace offering us the forgiveness, the cleansing, the liberation, the healing we need to begin the journey toward wholeness, our wholeness and fulfillment in Christ. In other words, that if you need to grow up in relationships, God will bring a lot of broken relationships to you. If, if you need to grow up, you know, this is kind of trite, but if you need to grow up in patience, God will bring a lot of problems your way, Right? Now, my friends, if you run from that, it, you're just going to run, but God's going to find you. And, and, and I know a lot of people that when it gets tough, they take off. But you know what? They, they're, one day they're going to have to learn it because they keep cycling back with the same struggle. Learn it once, right, and move on to the next lesson, right? But in the area where God wants to grow you up, he will take you to a place of incredible, uncomfortable journeys of life that you would never want to sign up for because that's where the gap is. And that's what it's like and will take to get you to be like Jesus. Well, I'll finally close with these thoughts. We did this last week, uh, but I want to talk about God's part in this and our part as a church and your part. When it comes to structure, God has invited us to know him. I, I don't know, seriously, God has invited us to sit down with him and learn from him. What more important thing could we be doing during our day, right? To just to sit down, to know God and to grow in him. He's already offered the invitation, be with me. Come and be with me. That should be the call of our heart. As a church, our part is to teach it. We talk a lot about this in our Connect class and our Grow class. What does it mean to actually develop a deepening relationship with God? Hopefully we model it, we demonstrate it, we talk about it. Your part, though, you gotta schedule it and you gotta do it. 
If you need some help, you want some hints, I'd love to help you with that, right? Some of you are actually reading through the Bible this year because I put together a little read through the Bible sheet with every day. Awesome. That's great. I love it. Not, not because you're going to get a check mark at the end of the year, but you will have read through the Bible. That is life-changing. You will have done it. And that's a lot of hard work, a lot of discipline. When it comes to uh, service, the next tool that God uses, God's part, he chose you and he gifted you. Out of his wonderful gifts, he deposited a gift or gifts in you and he wants you to unwrap it because he's just waiting. He's like a father at Christmas, like you don't want to unwrap the gift? It's a really nice one. You know, no batteries. It's not plastic. This is like hand carved. I made this one for you. Why don't you open the gift, right? Our part, equip you as we saw and release you for ministry. Get out of your way, basically. Your part there, this is a tough one. You got to die to yourself. Because everything within us wants to be served, not to serve. You've got to die to yourself and your desires. You've got to serve others. Finally, the last tool, suffering. God's part, there's a whole lot I could have put here, but I just know he strengthens you on the journey. But you only discover the strength on the journey. He enables you to make it through the worst times of your life. Our part, counseling you. We love to do biblical counseling. We love to do prayer with you. We want to be there in those moments, walk with you on the journey. Your part, though, is engage in relationships. Do not withdraw when life falls apart, but engage in the people that God has put all around you. And don't give up. Don't give up on God because he is doing a great work in your life. You just have a hard time seeing in those moments, trust me. Again, our vision is to lead you in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what we're talking about. And, and our desire is to create environments where that can happen. God has created environments where that can happen. Our desire and our dream is for everybody to participate in that. Let us know, like I said. Send us emails. Where, where do you need prayer? Because you don't think God's doing his part. Man, we want to lift you up to the Father because he cares. Even if your faith is weak, we want to lift you up and pray with you. Uh, we want to show you from Scripture what, what he said about these things and our journey and our struggle. What about our part as a church? Man, we don't get it all right. We know that. Tell us what's not working. Tell us where we need to take steps. I had a man talk to me six months ago about something to do with men's ministry, and he was really nervous about telling me and saying this because he thought I'd be offended. I go, no, and I watched this thing. I'm like, that's awesome. We need to do that in ours, and we're going to start doing it in ours. I just didn't know, right? We need to learn what's working, what's not. Your part. But again, what is your part? Gather some friends, gather some family, and say, here's my part. I need some accountability. I need some encouragement. I want to do it. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I just want to say thank you. I love you for what you've shown us about being more and more like Jesus. We want to be like him. Uh, take the gaps. Take the deficiencies. Take the, the struggles, Lord, and, and just cause us to draw closer to Jesus through all of this. May we, with just some of the tools that we've talked about this week and next, really see steps in the years to come of what it means to become more and more like Jesus. Because if that's your desire for us, why would we want anything less than that? Do the work in us, God. As the family of God, we want to do the work in each of our lives, each other's lives. And we want to walk that journey to be like Jesus. Because we need it, and the world around us needs it, the culture needs to see it. We need to have the light that shines of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.